And I, I would say to you, though, the thing that is first up for grabs for us when we walk through those seasons is his love. And so I think it's why it's so important to remember his love, to rehearse his promises, to just refresh your memory on the fact that these silent seasons are not an indicator of his passion towards you. And it's super important to know that. Welcome to More Than Small Talk. We're Susie Eller, Jennifer Watson, and Holly Gerth, writers and real life friends. We're inviting you to go deeper, become freer, and feel more connected. So imagine you have a cup of coffee, a mug of tea, or a green smoothie in your hand, and we're all hanging out in your favorite place together. Hey, More Than Small Talk friends. We have a special guest and friend of ours with us this week. Susie Larson is a best-selling author, national speaker, host of Susie Larson Live, She's written over 20 books, and she has a new one called Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where is God When You Need Him Most? So Susie, welcome. We are so glad to have you with us. Such an honor to be with you, having had you on my show and being on the other side of the yes. mic. What a, what a precious gift it is to see you guys in your space doing your thing. What, a, yeah. what an honor to be with you. Yeah. You know, Susie, I've known you for well over 20 years. And I have to say that when I saw the title of this book, it seemed so perfect because you embody this. Mm. You have walked this, you have lived this. So can you tell us why you wrote this book and maybe who it's for? Yeah, thank you, Susie. I mean, I remember when we met and I remember both of us being new to, you know, as authors and Christians in ministry. And you Mm -hmm. were someone I instantly connected with because you had a real authentic, intimate walk Mm -hmm. with God. And I'm so drawn to that. I always could spot it, right? Because it it matters so much to me. And, you know, just to take you back a little bit of context, I think if not for the things I've walked through, I would probably be a, a modern day striver Pharisee just because I... I am a task-oriented person and, and focused and purposeful and all of that. And as you well know, in my young years, uh, well, as a young girl, I experienced some trauma at the hands of teenage boys when I was nine and 10 years old. That was mm-hmm. pretty significant. Uh, the nine years old, I was pinned down by some boys and experienced a sexual assault and uh, got up from that experience so confused about my identity, my worth. I, I, I was raised in a, a large family in a denomination where I knew God was real, but I really did not know Jesus was accessible, didn't know the gospel. Um, So I had a sense of God's presence. And when that happened, I had a sense of a very real enemy. And Mm -hmm. when I was about 10 years old, walking home from school, I was jumped by a group of teenage boys and beaten badly. And they were laughing wildly as they punched my face and pulled fistfuls of hair and kicked me. And they were just laughing as I was Mm -hmm. screaming and I was getting pummeled. And when they walked away laughing about what they'd done, I'd gotten up and I basically heard in my ear, not audibly, but I heard in my ear, I can get you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. At that Mm -hmm. moment, I knew the devil was real. I knew it. And fear entered my life in a very big way. And you jump ahead. I, I came to Christ when I was in about eighth grade. And I would say, even going into my young years as a mom and a wife, um, I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And I will, I would submit to you that many Christians, even seasoned Christians are going through life knowing they're saved, but they don't know they're loved. And uh, when I um, was a young mom on bed rest, uh, I've been bed rest for six months with a high risk pregnancy with a one and a three year old, and then six months on bed. So I used up 
all my friend favors. Remember, <laughs> coming into marriage, you know, I knew I was saved, but not loved. So I was serving in five committees at church. And that's what you do when you don't mm -hmm. know who you are, is you misuse your time, treasure and talents to try to prove something that Jesus has already proven. And that's what I was doing, because I was just trying to dig myself out of the hole that I believed I was in. So once I was put on bed rest, I mean, it was like a nightmare come true because I was a debt to everybody and couldn't serve in any capacity. And we were racking up medical debt. My friends were getting tired of me. And I would say three mm -hmm. months into my six months of bed rest, my doctor let me get up and test the waters. And a long story short, my one day up, I met my old college roommates for lunch and uh, went for a walk. We had lunch. We were super careful. But by nighttime, my, I was contracting again, went back to bed. Within two weeks of that outing, my face started to go numb. I had pins mm -hmm. and needles shooting down my arm. I had a crawling, buzzing, numbing feeling that started at the base of my skull and traveled around to my face where it felt like I had a pulsating kind of blood sucker on my face. And, uh, and so I had three months left to go in the pregnancy while I had these neurological fireworks going on. And I literally felt like God had lost my address. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I just, I couldn't believe what was happening. And I had friends who had health and their wealth and we had neither. And I, I really wondered where God was. I'd open up the word and it was seemed dead on the page. And I remember one night begging God to heal me, if not for me, for my kids. I, I was new enough in my faith and I just, I didn't have a ton of, you know, um, spiritual backing as far as like kids raised in a youth group with all that extra, you know, it, reinforcement. I didn't have that, you know, so I was really forging my way based on what I read from the word and a little bit I was learning in my Christian community. Uh, but again, friends were starting to go away because I, I was, I just had so much need and it was humiliating for me. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, God, maybe God changed his mind about me too. And uh, I remember one night just begging God, if not for me, for my boys, would you heal me? And the Lord broke through the silence and said, if I healed you, would you praise me? And I said, you wouldn't be able to shut me up. <laughs> I would praise you till the cows come home. I'll tell everybody. And he said, why is that? Is that because I sent my one and only son to die for you, to save you from a eternal damnation um, or because you got your way. And it was like my life passed before my eyes. And I, it's like, I saw my life in a reel and I realized how much I had done to rescue my sense of self-worth. I mean, I really realized that insecurity is another form of selfishness. And I was the most insecure, fearful person I knew. And, and suddenly I realized at that moment, he was my savior, but he wasn't my Lord because all I wanted was to be well. That, that was almost an idol for me because it's like, where are you, God? And, you know, I battled so deeply and I still battle today and I've come a long way, but I rolled out of bed onto my face and, and I had a revelation really about God's love and his lordship in a way that I had never had before. And I wrote a poem and it's in the book and I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to try to do it. Sure. From, memory just because it was a turning point for me on the terms by which I come to God. And it, and I might miss a line or two, but it says, I go, let's see here. I've walked through many storms. My prayers were filled with tears. The enemy was so big, confirming all my fears to a distant God. I would ever cry just wanting an answer, always asking why yet heard I not from him nor his angels singing. It was all that I could do his robe to keep on clinging. Then suddenly one night, as I beckoned him to be so real that I could feel him, he finally spoke to me, said he, my daughter, Susie, I love you with my life. No more would I ever hurt you than be the cause of your strife. You see, it's not my hand that's delivered all this pain, but it's true. My hand is there to hold yours in the rain. Mm -hmm. It's something how men see me according to their need. 
Instead of praise and faith, they ask and beg and plead. But I am a God who doesn't change with time, nor change I with the season. I don't have to explain myself nor give you detailed reason. I've given all that I could give when I gave to you my son. I emptied out myself for you as if you were the only one. What I do, I do for you because I love you so. What I allow, I allow for you because I want you to grow. In faith, praise, and trust, you will find you are strong. When demands are replaced by a faith-filled praise song, it is there you'll find peace where there once was strife, and it'll be just enough to have me in your life. Mm-hmm. And remember, I still choke up when I think about mm-hmm. it because I remember saying, if you don't heal me, I will hate it. I hate this disease. I hate how scary the neurological symptoms are. I hate that I feel 90 when I'm in my late 20s. and mm-hmm. I'll hate it, but I will love you and I will follow mm-hmm. you. And um, I remember hearing of the analogy of a wandering sheep. It gets stuck in a thicket and breaks its leg and the shepherd finds it and carries its little sheep around his neck. And uh, this sheep that's prone to wander suddenly becomes so attached to the shepherd that its heart starts to beat in rhythm with the shepherd to the point that once the sheep heals, it stays on the heels of the shepherd. Like it, it, it develops an intolerance for distance. And, you know, there's more than one way to wander. And I, I wasn't wandering in the ways of, you know, indulgence that was destructive, but I would have wandered in the ways of striving for sure. And I feel like I know I, God didn't give me this disease. He didn't. I feel like it's from the pit of hell, but God has redeemed it over and over again and leveraged it to teach me so much. And I feel like I've had these encounters with God over the years that have just so confirmed his power and his majesty. And then I've had stretches where I can barely hear him or see him. Mm-hmm. But the more that I mature, the more that I know he's near. Yeah. And there's a purpose in it. So I, I have cultivated a love for God's presence and, and a deeper faith and understanding. What do you do when you don't feel him, when he doesn't seem to be talking? And I, Susie, we get a lot of those questions from people. And just so that's how this book was born. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's, it's powerful, Susie, to see, I don't know, um, your desire and your faith and your tenacity to hold on to God. And and something that you said in the book is you said, God is indifferent about nothing. <laughs> I know that. You've come mm-hmm. to you've come to understand that through living this. Yeah. 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 He delights in every detail of our lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned at that place in the book where I've heard people say, Jesus doesn't care where you park or where you work or where you live. Just mm-hmm. do those things as unto God. And, you know, that might sound good in a talking point, but it's not true according to scripture. He delights in every detail of your life. All of his thoughts towards you are holy. If you were mm-hmm. to collect his thoughts, you couldn't number them because they outnumber the grain of sand. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows when you rise, when you sit. Tell me that's a God who doesn't care. He cares. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to know that when you can't feel him and when yeah. you can't sense him. I remember, you know, Streams in the Desert was a devotional that I hung on to so tight in those years because it's really a devotional for the suffering. There was a, and I'll be paraphrasing, but the author talked about a dream that this person had of three women standing before God. And they were, this person, you know, who was having the dream was standing, I think with an angel and said, tell me what you see. And Jesus walked up to the first girl who was, they were all on their knees and he lifted her chin and held her face and rustled her hair and spoke tenderly to her. The next one, he didn't do that. He just kind of touched her head. And the third one, he turned his head and he walked away. So the angel said, what do you see? Well, I see that the first one's probably walking very closely with 
with God and, and Jesus is rewarding her. And the second one, she's kind of got one foot in and one foot out. And he's trying to tell her, if you do it, if you stay in, you will experience me in ways you never could. And the third one, this is again, my paraphrase, but he's displeased because they're squandering their gifts. And the angel said, you couldn't be more wrong. The first one is a brand new baby believer who is living on senses and emotions and needs one confirmation after the other. The second one is maturing and we're weaning her off of needing to feel and sense things all the time. And the third one is made for greatness. And she's walking through a season right now where she's trusting God's word, even when it doesn't feel true. And that struck me as a young Christian. And again, that's another, I feel like, you know, passion behind this book that is he still good when you can't sense him? He is. Does he still have your best interest in heart when you can't hear him? Yes, he does. And I think it's so important that his character not be up for grabs in the silent and the hard seasons. So you talk about, you know, navigating the seasons where um, God does feel silent. So you've touched on that, but like, I would love for you to kind of speak in to these young believers, these seasoned believers who are going through trauma and crisis and hard things, and they think it's their fault. Yeah. Thank you for that question, because I've been there, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, I would say the silent seasons are sometimes complex, and I really do explore them in the books. I think it's so important. And while I've been someone who people, I mean, I actually received an email from someone who said, you're a leader at your level and you're still not healed. Like, where's your faith? And uh, so, you know, people have a profound gift of discouragement. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they do. (laughs) So I want to be so careful the way I say this, but I'm saying for me, if I'm entering or walking through a silent season where God seems silent, my first act, uh, my first action is to pray Psalm 139. I I always want to just assume have I moved? You know, so I pray, search me, oh God, and know mm-hmm. my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in your everlasting way. And as my friend Maria says, when you pray that prayer, if he shows you something, repent and then roar. And if he doesn't show you anything, <laughs> just roar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think that's so important to remember who you are. Yeah. And even if you need a course correction, you're still an heir. Mm-hmm. You're still beloved of God. And that this is just true is we get to be a work in progress without the condemnation. Mm. But sometimes we don't know what we don't know and we can't see what we can't see. And you might be trying to get something from God over here and he's talking to you over here going, but you haven't done this thing over here that I've asked you to do. So, uh, you know, intimacy and obedience are so key. So I would start with me. It's just, I would, but if I'm not getting a sense of anything, then I would rally some of my friends to say, I feel like I'm either under attack or I'm walking through a test. Will you stand with me? Will you tell me what you see? And there have been times, I, and I make a distinction in the book between an attack and a test. And I would say an attack, you often know because it's compiled with physical attack, or maybe you ate something that didn't agree with you, or something kept you up all night and you're not sleeping. And there's this cascade of events that are throwing you off your game. I think you can pretty much be assured you're, the enemy is leveling an attack against you. But, but a test, I mean, he doesn't, te- God never tempts us, but he does test us to show us what's in us so that we can more desperately hunger for him. And there are times he's proving what we already know. He's showing us what's in us, right? And I always used to tell my boys when they were growing up, if you can't hear God, what he's saying, remember what he said. Mm. Go back to your journals, go back to your Bible, because the word of God is living and active. So there's times where I don't feel his presence. I don't sense him speaking in my ear, but I will go back to scripture and go, but he's speaking here. And again, I'm going to stand on these truths, even if they don't feel true. And I, I would say to you, though, the thing that is first up for grabs for us when we walk through those seasons is his love. 
And so I think it's why it's so important to remember his love, to rehearse his promises, to just refresh your memory on the fact that these silent seasons are not an indicator of his passion towards you. And it's super important to know that. And I really believe if, if it's just a test and those are hard, you will, if you keep steady on, you keep worshiping God, you keep loving people, you do the things that you know to do, it will lift. And I've had that happen before. All of a sudden I wake up one day and it's lifted. And, and then I feel like oftentimes a fresh revelation comes of his word. He starts to come alive or God shows me somebody who needs something that I've learned that I picked up as a, in, like a treasure in the darkness. So, you know, nothing you go through is unredeemable. And, and even if you bumble your way through the silent seasons, you've got a merciful God who loves you and is so intent on training you to stand in battle. That's good. And I love you shared truth, but also practical strategies like pray Psalm 139. Mm -hmm. So can you share a few more of those? Just if someone's thinking, okay, I need this today, right now, what's one small thing I can do? What would you say to them? That's a great question, Holly. You know, um, one of my friends, I, I had a pretty massive a health relapse, as you know, eight years ago, and I'm still working my way through it. It was devastating, to be honest with you. And I, I went through what I realized. I was so heartbroken. I was still pursuing God, still reading his word, still worshiping. But I, when I got down to it, realized I was hurt by God. I was very disappointed mm. at this age that he allowed this to happen. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm human. <laughs> what yeah. did I say? Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know that that was there. In fact, I was bracing for impact, waiting for the next shoe to drop because it was so mm -hmm. traumatic. Mm -hmm. And then I realized when the Lord started to show me that bracing for impact is really another level of mistrust in God. And so one of my friends had said, Susie, when you think about God, if your default response is anything other than surely goodness and mercy, follow me. She said, if you're thinking anything else about God, then his goodness and mercy chase after me then something in you needs to be healed and something in your thinking needs to be reset. And I have my, my follow-up devotional that's coming after this is training the heart and mind to move from bracing for impact to anticipating God's goodness. But on a practical level, I'll tell you what, when I started to think about that, I started to say, show me every default thought pattern that's incongruent with your word. And uh, I, because of some of the brain issues I dealt with with this last bout, it affected me cognitively in a pretty scary way. I had brain scientists on my show and I said, tell my listeners, I hope this is interesting to you, but I got some <laughs> questions. <laughs> so I'm bringing on these brain experts. And Dr. Tim Jennings said something that I think is, uh, he gave this assignment to our listeners that I think is so powerful. And I give it to your listeners. If you were to spend 15 minutes a day for the next 30 days, pondering the love God has for you, not the love you have for him. It's good to think about the love you have for him. But I will just tell you, it's not that we loved God. It's that he loved us. He loved us first. And he keeps loving us first. And if we're only thinking about our love for God, our walk with God starts to become a lot of should do's and ought to's. But he loved us first. So I agree with this completely. Where he's like, sit with for 15 minutes a day. It, maybe you make a playlist of, of worship songs that he sings over you. He's, you know, he speaks his love over you or compiles scripture, whatever it is. But you sit and marinate in the idea that God loves you. He sings over you. He rejoices over you. When you come into his presence, he's glad to see you. I want you to imagine a smile that goes up to his eyes because he loves you so much. 15 minutes a day. He said, literally, it'll change your physiology. It will change your brain structure and it'll absolutely change your faith perspective. So I, I dare you. I dare you. 15 <laughs> minutes a day for the next 30 days because it's the love of God that changes everything. And it's the love of God that allows you to walk through the highs and the lows, knowing you're tethered to a good God. Yeah. And he is committed to getting you safely home. 
Yeah. You know, Susie, as I was reading through the book, it's not a fluff book. It's a deep book. It's deep waters, which I love. I love so much. And there were a couple of things that just really, I had some aha moments. And one was this, you talked about Peter, how he had that moment where he completely failed. He just failed. And it was around a charcoal fire. And he he ran away weeping and crying, feeling like he had done so badly that there was no redemption. And then there was that moment where Jesus met Peter around a charcoal fire (laughs) and he brought him to a place of wholeness. And I thought, I had never seen that before, Susie. I never saw that the way God can take what hurt us, that tried to separate us, and he can take that very essence of that and draw us back to himself. It was beautiful. I mean, he's such an intimately involved God. He is. And he wanted to give Peter a new sensory experience. I mean, I want you to imagine charcoal fires were commonplace back then. And the physiological impact, they say nerves that fire together, wire together. So when you have an experience and then a reaction to the experience, they wire together. So if you have something similar, it will trigger a reaction. So any reminiscent experience can trigger a trauma reaction. Mm-hmm. And Holly could speak to this a lot more even than I could. But I, we're so fearfully and wonderfully made. And God you know, made us that way, but the enemy knows it as well. Mm-hmm. And it's so good of God to give Peter this full circle moment to bring him back to this place of failure and trauma so that next time he inhaled a charcoal fire, he remembers his Savior face, Savior's face recommissioning him. You know, for me, uh, I'll tell you, in this last stretch, some of the symptoms that, so what happened, apparently people with chronic Lyme have an insufficiency of, of processing mold. And so like you, if you have a, a flare up, um, your body can't process mold. I was having repeated exposures to black mold that affected my brain. And I'm a live talk radio host. You got to be on your toes to be thinking on the live radio every day. And of course I was writing a book and suddenly I couldn't spell. I didn't remember the difference between T-H-E-R-E and E-I-R. I got lost going home on a simple route home. I would was in studio and my tongue was going numb and I couldn't remember the words I needed. It was terrifying. Oh, wow. I'm still too young for something like that to happen. Yes. Yeah. And, and some of the things that were happening were happening at night where all of a sudden my I would be sleeping and all of a sudden I would feel everything start to go numb. And I'd have these surges, these violent surges of inflammation and my heart would beat every which way and numbing would shoot up my neck and into my jaw like I was having a stroke. My tongue would go numb and the room would start to spin. And I'm like, oh, no, God. Oh, no, God. And I didn't want to wake up Kev. So I'd come down in the basement here and pace and quote scripture. And nights became trauma for me. And there was one night, it was, uh, I don't know, three or four in the morning. I said, you're going to have to kill me or heal me because I don't have the mental bandwidth for this. I can't keep doing this. You know, you take me or heal me. And he looked, he said, (laughs) I laugh because God is funny this way. But anyway, he said, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And I said, I don't mean to be sassy, but I already know that verse. And it doesn't seem very helpful right now. <laughs> for those who don't know the verse, it's for by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not a result of works, so no one can boast. And I wasn't sassy, but I was just so exhausted. I'm like, God, I know that verse, and I don't see how that helps me read. I was desperate, and the Lord prompted me and pushed me for the look it up. So I looked at a word study on it, and for by grace we've been saved. The word saved, the original translation is sozo. And it means a lot more than being saved from the penalties of judgment. It means to be healed, to be restored, to be made whole, 
and to be safe from the penalties of judgment. We often, almost always, use that verse as a salvation verse. But all you got to do is follow Jesus around the Gospels to see he cares about the human condition. Mm -hmm. He cares about your charcoal fires. He cares about the nerves that fired together, wired together. And if you allow him and walk intimately with him, he will bring you around full circle. And the enemy will bring you back to your past to condemn you, to try to hold you captive. God will bring you back to your past so he can propel you forward. And I will tell you, it started to become very stressful for me to go to bed. And then the Lord met me at night and he started to speak to me there and said, I'm going to make your night hours your most redemptive hours. And, mm-hmm. and I'm still in that process, but I, I have a hope about that. And I have a faith around that because I've already gotten glimpses of it. So I say that to say his presence heals. He cares so deeply about the lies you picked up when life let you mm-hmm. down. And I think when you just think that he saved you to slave you, and you got to hunker down and hang on till he comes back, you're missing the gospel. He didn't save you to slave you. He saved you because he loved you. And he wants to disentangle you from every lie so that you can walk free. So good, Suze. So where can people find you and your book and learn more? I know they're going to want to. This is a message I think so many people need right now. And if you're listening, don't just get a copy for you. Think who in my life needs to feel God's presence now too, or even go through this book with a group. I think it would be great for that because I find I often experience the presence of God and the presence of other people. So Susie, where can people find this book, connect with you, listen to your radio show, all the things? Great. Well, thank you, Holly. SusieLarson.com is my website. And uh, uh, Closer Than Your Next Breath has its own page if you just want an easy click to wherever you want to buy that. Uh, my show is Susie Larson Live. It's live every day on MyFaithRadio.com, which is a radio network all over the country. However, if it doesn't work to listen live, go to your podcast player and uh, it goes to podcast after that. But I'm telling you, we have amazing guests like Holly Gertz. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a deeper life show because that's what I care about. So um, thank you. And thanks for having me today. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for being with us. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks for going deeper, becoming freer, and connecting with us. More Than Small Talk is a part of the KLRC Podcast Network and is produced by Kara Culver. Show notes and resources are available on the More Than Small Talk page on klrc.com. You can also join us in our Facebook group. Subscribe to More Than Small Talk on your favorite app so you won't ever miss an episode.